so much bigger than you. Just stop, look, listen, see, hear, and be inspired. You, us, we. We are all part of God's started movement that is growing larger and faster than any other time in human history. It started with Jesus. And right now, there's nearly two billion of us around the world. Can you see it? Can you feel it? Can you sense the growing move of God as never seen before? From a small rural village in Peru to the boundless energy of New York City, from the slums of Calcutta to the suburbs of Nairobi, from basements in Riyadh to high-rises in Hong Kong, from Toronto to Tokyo, from Manchester to Moscow, from cities in Thailand to the steppes in Tibet, God, God is on the move. Each person, each church, connected to Jesus himself by the call of God the Father and filled by the fire of the Holy Spirit. All of us from every tribe, every tongue, every family, every nation, born of God and now together working with God to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it really is in heaven. As Paul wrote so long ago in Ephesians 2.21, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. See, we really are all in this together. All right, good morning C4 Church. Really glad again that you're here with us this morning. Want to welcome many of you watching, listening online, wherever you might be today. We as a church family want to invite you this morning with us uh, to hear God's word. Let me take a moment to pray and then we'll begin. God, thank you for what you've done so far. Thank you uh, that you've met with us and you're meeting with us. And as Pastor Dave rightly prayed, uh, Lord God, you are welcome in this church. You are welcome in this moment. And as your word is about to be preached... I pray that every person here and virtually would truly be open to what the Spirit of God wants to do today. Uh, Lord, we are here asking for you to work. So come and meet us in any way you desire. Uh, You are welcome. We are saying, come and speak and change us. We're just agreeing with that prayer in Jesus' name. And again, everyone said, amen. Amen. It was Friday morning. It was 7 o'clock in the morning. I'm sure I was drooling at that moment on my pillow. As I've shared with you before, uh, I have three kids under five, and I've shared many of the escapades. And one thing I've shared with you many times is my daughter, Emma, who comes to me regularly and stares and watches me when I sleep. Remember, I've shared that with you. And so it's seven o'clock in the morning. Now, I have a wonderful king-size bed, and yet something continually happens within my life. I find myself on the edge of my king-size bed. Uh, I am on the edge about to fall off. See, as I've shared before, my wife and I fall asleep and we're both deep sleeper. Our oldest daughter is like a ninja. She literally comes in very quietly so we don't wake up and she eases in between us. And then during the night she begins to move this way and we are separated out. And our five-year-old has the best profound sleep ever while we're both in the corners about to fall off. Anyway, so I'm in that position which many parents have been in many times before. And at 7 o'clock in the morning, I'm sleeping, and then Emma does her horror film thing. Daddy, daddy, you know. And uh, so I open my eyes, and she's right there. Can you turn the TV on, daddy? Uh, Sure, honey, no problem. And now she's smart. She hands me my glasses so I can see. So she's like, daddy, 
Daddy. So, okay, thank you. So I wake up, I stop drooling. I'm not sure what time it is. I'm looking at my daughter. She's smiling with her perfect little lips. And I'm like, okay. And as I get up out of bed and I put my glasses on, the bed is empty. My wife is gone. The other daughter who moves continually is gone. And I went, are you kidding me? I could have had this bed all night long to myself. And I've been sleeping on the edge the whole time. My wife had ended up in another bed. You know how it goes. I I was so upset. I was like, I could have had that bachelor moment from 13 years ago. See, at that moment when I came back up and couldn't fall asleep and sat in the middle of the bed, I realized something. It's obvious, but it's true. If I had my glasses on and I had been awake... I would have seen the opportunity to have a great sleep that I don't usually get. But because I was on the edge and because I've been conditioned and because I was asleep and because I didn't have my glasses on, I did not see the opportunity literally right beside me. What a graphic, true picture of many local churches. How true of many of us here this morning where we live our Christian lives in a king-sized bed, but we're on the edge and we're not sure if there's anything else and we're asleep or half asleep and we do not have our glasses on and so we do not see the grander opportunity that is right beside us. And so that is why we as a church must continually come back to the scriptures and say, oh God, wake us up. Oh God, let us see clearly because the opportunity that you are inviting us into is so much bigger than most of us actually in this church really believe. Welcome to week five in our series. We're all in this together. And welcome to week, well, the beginning of one week. Let me explain how these things cross over and why it matters. This fall... Like I've preached before, we have chosen to explore one thing. What does the Bible actually say a local church must look like? I mean, what will mark us as a local church? Ask yourself this again. What will we not just talk about or hope that we are, but what will we actually do together? How formed will we be and how molded will we be by the Holy Scriptures and also by the Spirit of Jesus? Let me repeat what I've said for weeks. As I did the vision video this year, I said these words. I said, as a local church, it's hard to do things by ourselves. We can do big things when we get together, but we can achieve huge things when God's involved. And then I said, I want to be part of a local church that's doing community biblically, and that's worshiping passionately, and is serving radically, and is expectantly, you know, praying, and inviting courageously, and giving joyfully and sacrificially. And remember that first week we read through Acts 2, as we have so many times before. And as we read that ancient scripture again, we knew very quickly that we had to be marked by the same thing that every local church globally needs to be marked by. A devotion to the things of God. A sense of awe because God is among us and doing godly action. Well, today's message at the beginning of one week is all three things. Today I get to preach on and invite all of us to a new place of expectant and desperate prayer. If you've got a Bible this morning, I'd love you to turn to Acts chapter 3. Virtual, physical, we're all good, just get there. Because this is actually the beginning of the story where the real prayer meeting of expectancy comes out of. 
The story begins like this. It starts with a God move. It always starts in a good place when God shows up. It starts with a move where someone was moved from the ordinary to the more, from the ordinary to the extraordinary. But then right after the amazing act took place, crisis, testing, pushback, and resistance. But it's actually right there, C4. It's right there in the pushback. It's right there in the unexpected. It's right there in the crisis that we together, as we will see, have the chance not only to wake up and not only to see clearly, but actually be moved to action. Desperate and deep expectant prayer. And of course, deep expectant prayer leads to one thing that the world is desperate to see. And so is every church, if they're honest. And it's this, real life transformation, not just us looking more moral. Now, long before this prayer meeting, which we're going to look at, takes place, there's an encounter. It's marked by mercy and healing. You could call the whole thing compassion. There's a beggar. There's a beggar sitting 2,000 years ago outside of God's holy temple. His experience is like millions before and millions after who live in that style and place of life. Nothing but the grind of nothingness, day after day, of humiliating rejection. See, no one looks people like that in the eyes. No one really, really acknowledges your presence. They may throw money at you, but they don't value you. And so he's sitting there, as he always has for his whole life. Money, money. Then it happened. I mean, people gave money. It was part of the religious duty. But two people stopped. I mean, they didn't just stop. Like, I mean, they, they stopped. And unlike so many other people, they didn't just look. They looked down and they looked into this man's eyes, his deep, empty, hollow, dead before your dead eyes. And suddenly this man speaks and he does the unexpected. It says in Acts 3.6, these words. Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have I now give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, I love that, instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he, and he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts. And he was walking and he was jumping and he, he was praising God. And, and when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him. This is the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had truly happened to him. Can you imagine his thoughts? Like really, just sit with it. I mean, I I I never thought I'd walk. I never thought I'd have dignity. I didn't think people cared. I didn't even know if God cared. I mean, I sat outside of his house my whole life, but my word, the word spoken over me my whole life, beggar, cripple, dirty, lazy, get a job, unclean, worthless, garbage, untouchable. That's what I thought my identity would always be. I heard their whispers. I wonder why he's a cripple. Did he sin or maybe his parents? But now my life, in one second, I mean one second, my hand out for money and suddenly something else, darkness to light, spiritually, physically, emotionally, my life is changed. I've got dignity. I've got love. My desperation is met now in the name of a guy named Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Finally, like finally, the gate beautiful can be my name, my name. 
And then I'm sure he broke out in the biggest dance he ever could imagine. You know, public displays of gratitude in the West, especially in the suburbs, are rare. Because we're controlled people, right? But when you've been so unbelievably desperate and broken and God moves in, you don't care what other people think anymore. Because you can't believe he decided to love you. I can walk, he yells. I can walk, I can walk, I can walk. The God moment, the extraordinary has happened. But then in the middle of joy, in the middle of the, the more, crisis comes. Why wouldn't everyone be happy with this? I mean, why wouldn't everyone celebrate this? Well, because God's extraordinary moves threaten theology. And when God really shows up, those places where the status quo has been the status quo are broken. See, God threatens long-established places. God threatens actually places where he moved so long ago, but those moves have been long forgotten, and they've become hardened institution and tradition. The truth repeated throughout the Bible and church history time and time again is this, that when God really moves, many of his own people will not welcome him, will not welcome his work, they will not welcome his will, they will not welcome his love. They will miss the one they raise their hands to. Look at the next chapter, chapter 4. The priests and the captain of the guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people and they were greatly disturbed. Because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. And they seized Peter and John because it was evening and they put them in jail until the next day. Those early Christians proclaim what we proclaim and every faithful Bible-believing church proclaims globally. That Jesus really rose physically from the dead. And when we heal in his name, it is proclaiming that he actually is alive. Because we can heal in his name, it is proof that he is risen. We are declaring that he is the Father found in flesh. He is God the Son. He is the only contact between God and humanity. It was proof that we are positively possessed. That God is living in and amongst his people and using him. So they freak out because this takes place. And yet it says in verse 4, you can read it, that though they're thrown in jail, many, many more believe and the number of men reached 5,000. Let me tell you how significant this is. In Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people accepted Jesus. Now it's 5,000 men, which means the movement within one chapter has grown to over 10,000 people. Within two chapters, the church is exploding. But now, Peter and John now face the same body that Jesus had to face. He's brought before what they call the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a religious body in its day made up of the high priest of the Jews, the priestly class, the scholars. They were the greatest minds. They were the PhDs of PhDs in Jewish law and faith and history. They had jurisdiction over every Jew on earth, whether you lived in what we now call Israel or not. If you, I've said this before, if you imagine a parliament, a supreme court, and a Jewish version of the Vatican and put it all together, that's what this is. And so these two are now dragged in front of their own leaders. It says in verse 5, the next day after they spend a night in jail, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, other of the high priest family. And they had Peter and John brought before them and they began to question them. Notice their questions. By what power and by what name did you do this? Then Peter I love this, a grade two educated guy. 
filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and you're asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands here healed. He is the stone that the builders have rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation, I love this, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given, not just to Israel, not just to the Jews, but to all of humanity in which we must be saved. Can you imagine the power of this encounter? Peter stands up and says, you were there and so was I. I'm the guy who rejected him. I'm the guy who said, I don't know him. I'm the one who cursed him and blasphemed him. John's like, I was there. I held Mary when he bled out. But they point to them and they said, and so were you. Every one of you sitting in this Sanhedrin was, was there. You made the decision to murder Jesus, and you thought you won, but you didn't. And you know why? See this beggar right here? See this cripple? In the name of Jesus, he stands. Jesus beat you. The intensity of the moment. You represent God, and you've missed him. That is why we hold, and that is why we know, and that is why we have experienced the truth about Jesus. We saw him die. We've met him after his resurrection. He's empowered us by his spirit. Salvation is found in no other name. He's the only one that's dealt with our sin because he's the only one without sin. He's the only one that's overcome death because he's the only one who's come back from death. He's the only one that has the power, the ability, the willingness, the holiness, the love to come and rescue us from ourselves. He's the only one that has overcome all our enemies, including our own sin and our rejection and selfish inclinations. Oh, we believe in good news. We believe in good news, and we believe they say it comes from Israel, but his name is Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the King of the Jews. And you leaders, you must bow before him because it is by his name we heal, and it is proof he has risen. Well, they are shocked. You read the passage at, because they are unschooled. And it says right in the passage, they also realized that these men had been with Jesus. And they have a meeting. What to do? Verse 18, it says they called them back in again and they commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourself. Whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Let me just say, remember all last year's theme, believe? See, that's biblical believing when you don't just intellectually know, but you've experienced also. We have seen and we have heard. We know. No, we will not obey you. No, with great respect, we say no. We will not be quiet, for God has acted through Jesus, and now we act on Jesus' behalf. No, we have seen him, we have experienced him, we have heard him, and now the ball is not in our court, it is in your court, because it's on your heads, not on our heads, because we have said yes, and you have said no. So what do you say? Ooh, wow. After further threats, they had to let them go because they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Okay, if you're over 40, please stand. No, serious, please stand. Online too, stand in your airplane. Oh, God bless you. Mm. 
Midlife, you have so much to teach us. Trust me, I'm 38, I'm coming. Now I want you to look around. No, on, no stand about the ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Don't be ashamed. People, the resurrection's true. It's forever. You're going to be fine. Okay. Now look around. Just no, honestly look around. This guy was one of you. And he'd been crippled his whole life. I want you to think about you for a moment, or we know a lot of you standing. Can you imagine someone like you walking home, walking home, and your family knew you'd been crippled your whole life? Do you think there'd be a conversation at the dinner table? No doctors, no hospital, and you walk and you say, I just want to tell you, Jesus did this. This is the, you need to see the visual of this because we dismiss it. The power of 40 plus years of humiliation and in one moment, Jesus reverses it all. Okay, you can sit now. It's okay. So this person is now healed and they can't deny it because all the people are praising God. So now what happens? I mean, what's going to happen? What are John and Peter going to do? I mean, the threats are given. The movement is birthed. Thousands are coming to Jesus. What would average people do? Now their rights and their lives are being threatened by their own religious leaders. Well, at that moment in the story, if you read it, the church is gathering in another place. It would be like Dave and I being arrested and we're taken down to a local police station and all of C4 gathers going, I wonder what's going to happen. And suddenly in the story, Dave and I walk in through that back door and everyone looks. We come up and say, well, we've got to tell you what happened. That's exactly what happens here. Verse 23 in Acts 4. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Now the state seeks now to hinder Jesus as a message and mission and communal mandate. And now this is real. And everyone, don't miss this this morning. The fear is real. What are people going to do at this moment? Are they going to retreat? Are they going to give up their faith? I mean, this is going to cost them big time now. I mean, catch this. These are the people that murdered Jesus. They could come and take your kids. They could take your house. They could put you in jail. Crisis has now come. Status quo is no longer a cover. It was just too big to ignore. So would they lay down their faith? Would they give in to the threats? Would they become more bold? At this critical moment, would this crisis lead to a crash or would the opposition lead to a God-given opportunity? Well, the answer is found, and this is where we get now. The answer is found in verse 24. This is how they respond. Not politically, not writing petitions. No, no. They do one thing. They gather together as one people, and they desperately, with a biblically informed prayer, begin to cry out expectantly, God, intervene. Acts 4.24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Notice that they raised their voices together. Not only was it sort of like one voice made up of many, but they're agreeing with one another. They're saying, amen, yes, Lord, we agree. God, hear us as one people as we pray the same things. There was unity in their prayer, and, and they understood that prayer is the ultimate place to change the world. Do you believe that? What happens in the heavenlies affects down here. 
Prayer is the place of encounter between God and humans. It is the place where we work together with God. It is the place where we are comforted when everything seems wrong. It is the place when heaven's view is grasped when everything is falling apart down here. It is the place of guaranteed supernatural power. And notice that this prayer is done together and is done in community. There is greater power when the whole community prays prayers together, rooted in Scripture, and the whole church says, we choose as a family to expose ourselves to the living God. See, every time you pray, you walk right into the presence of God. And when a whole church chooses to do it, we all get exposed to the Holy Presence. You can't keep walking into Holy Presence and not be different. That's why there's more prayer power when we meet together, by the way. Now look at the content of their prayer, because it is absolutely significant for what we're doing this week in one week. Sovereign Lord, they said, you have made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Notice where they begin. They don't start with threats. They don't start with the Sanhedrin. They don't start with their kids. They don't think with their RSPs. They don't think about their home. No, no. No fear gets the beginning conversation. They start their prayer with God. And this is what they say. O sovereign Lord. Oh, how I love this beginning. I love their confident confession. They cry out, to you, sovereign one. That is, to you who is the real ruler, to you who is the real monarch, to you who is greater than the high priest, greater than Caesar, greater than my family members, fears, to you, the real supreme king over all things, for you who are in charge, you got to deal with our enemies. And not only do they call him sovereign, they call him Lord. Now, in the New Testament, usually the word in Greek is kyrios, but it's different here. Here they use a word that's rarely used. Everyone ready? It's where we get our modern word despot from. So they cry out, to you, sovereign despot, to you who have absolute power. You rule all things. And how do we know this? Well, you're the creator. You made the heavens and and the earth itself and the sea. And you actually created everything that populates the seen and unseen. In other words, everything that's resisting us is created. And you're not. Oh, how we praise you. How we thank you that you're over the threatening Sanhedrin. Notice their confession brings comfort and expresses trust and truth. God is more powerful than anything that's ever been created. He's stronger than Satan. He's stronger than governments. He's stronger than leaders. He's stronger than family members. He's stronger than anything that's been created. And then what do they do? They're not done. Then they start praying the Bible back to God. God loves his written word being read back to him. Why? Because he is faithful to himself first and faithful to you second. There is no better way to pray the will of God than praying the Bible back to him. And this is what they pray right out of the Psalms. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather against you, Lord, and against his anointed one. I love the word rage. Rage is an equestrian term. It comes from the horse farm. I know very little about horses other than I was thrown once and then I've never gone back. But what's interesting about the word rage is this. It was a Greek word used for thoroughbred horses to describe their energy and their power. And you know how they, that that intensity they have. I love that they choose this word. Do you know why? Because this is what they're saying. Oh God, these people who are thoroughbreds, 
who are so strong and powerful and mighty, you are going to discipline them. And you're going to put the reins on them. You're the one who's riding the horse. No horse is riding you. Oh, sovereign Lord, why do all these people do this? Why do people continually spend their time trying to resist what you're doing? You're in control. Oh, selfish ambition and vain conceit that anyone would try to stand against God the Father and God the Son. And they're not done. After praying that, then they literally talk back to God in the right sense. They say, God, let us tell you. Let us remind you. Let us remind you of what they tried doing against Jesus. Why? Because they failed. Verse 27, indeed, Herod and and Pontius Pilate met together with the non-Jews and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. You ever found that people that can't stand each other when they get a common enemy suddenly become friends? It's very common. Well, this is what happens here. Herod is half a Jew, hated by the Jewish population. He is involved in Roman oppression. He's a great architect. He's murdering half his family. And then you've got Pontius Pilate who represents Roman domination. And then you've got a massive non-Jewish population, which the Jews didn't want there because they viewed it as desecration. And then you have the Jewish population. And what they say is all these people that hate each other, they gathered around and said, crucify him. And what happened? They lost. He says they lost. And they thought they were in charge, but they're not in charge because actually you ordained this. By the way, what a great description, wouldn't you say, of the crucifixion of Jesus? What a great description because the truth is we're all responsible for his death. All the nations are represented and we are there with them. They said they thought they were in charge, verse 28, but you did what your power and will had decided beforehand what should happen. Never forget this if you're a Christian this morning or you're seeking God the Father gave Jesus over. Let that sink in. God before time predestined that Jesus would die for our sakes. Salvation that is free for all of us cost God everything. God gave up Jesus, gave him over to deal with our sin. Good Friday. Everything and the horror of that was God's very plan to bring deliverance to the world. As I've said before, is this some weird form of cosmic child abuse? No, because don't forget Jesus himself is God. For God so loved the world that God sent himself for us. He said, or they said, you think they're in charge, but you even predestined this. So here's what they did. They said, God, we pray under your sovereignty and we declare your work and we remind you uh, that, that both human and demonic forces have fa- failed to thwart you so far. So now here in this moment, I want to give you, we together want to give you two or three expectant, dangerous prayers. We want you to act, Lord. And here's the content of their prayers. Everyone ready? Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Consider their threats. I don't know if you've ever prayed this way. I have a few times. God, you're everywhere, I know. I mean, I know you're everywhere. You see everything. But what we are asking you to do at this critical moment as we are desperate and we are expectant because you are alive, God, I want you, Jesus, whose eyes are filled with holy fire that see all things, I want you to focus your attention on the Sanhedrin. I want you to attune your ears that hear every conversation, thought, and motive, and I want you to hear them. Focus all of heaven now and consider what they're saying against your people. Anyone think that's a dangerous prayer request? Consider their threats, O sovereign Lord. And then they do it. And then they say, and empower us. They don't say, oh God, go get them. 
we're going over here. They go, no, Lord, you consider and you come get us. And they pray that they would be filled with the power of God so they would speak the word of God boldly. They pray that the spirit of Jesus would come upon them so strongly that the fear and personality and comfort would be moved to the side and they would continue to invite people courageously to Jesus Christ and they would not be quiet because they knew that this was truth. And then they kept going, not only consider their threats and help us to talk about Jesus more, then they, they kept going. They said, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We don't just want courage and we don't just want more preaching. We want miracles. Or let me put it this way, Jesus, we want more ruckus. The whole crazy thing that started with that cripple a few days ago that got us in trouble, more, Lord, more, more, more. We want to heal more and more people because we want to demonstrate that not we're cool or we've got a great, no, no. We want to demonstrate Jesus is alive. They pray that they'd get into more trouble, not less. And they pray for signs and wonders because signs and wonders are evidence that the kingdom of God is among us. And it is evidence that what's going to happen fully in the new heavens and the new earth has come in part now. Well, they pray this together as one voice. They're all in this together. It ain't no slogan for them. It's real. And at that moment, verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. By the way, this is not poetic license. This isn't, (laughs) this is not exaggeration. This is what we call theophany. When God moves from omnipresence to palpable presence, when God is everywhere but makes his presence known in visible form or physical form in the sense of presence, this happens. All throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, when God comes close and really gets close, it says that places shake and people shake and people fall over. Remember, we talked about this if you're part of 905. When Jesus came close to John in the book of Revelation, what happened when he was 90 years old? Anyone? He fell over as he was dead. I was like, Lord, have mercy. He's 90. Are you okay? But think about the power of this. This is not poetic effect. God shows up and the place shakes. There is no room here for controlling God. When God comes, he breaks all our middle class boxes. And so the place is shooken and they pray. And what is the result of this prayer? It wasn't a long prayer. They didn't spend 400 hours praying. It happened. Two things. They preached the word of God boldly. And then here's the, like, here's the light bulb. And then they experienced everything we're talking about in this series. Everything. Keep reading. Verse 32. And all the believers were together in one heart and one mind. Do we all want to be in this together, yes or no? Then we got to pray. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. They shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there was no needy person among them. And from time to time, it was so crazy, those that even owned land or houses, let me have boats, cottages, you can fill in the blanks, sold them, brought money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is crazy land. 
God answers their prayer and he produced a church that was doing, everyone ready? Biblical community and they were worshiping passionately and they were serving radically and they were giving joyfully and sacrificially and they were praying expectantly and they were inviting courageously. Connect the dots. If our church wants to be marked by these things, we have to pray. As Rick Warren tweeted this week, I love it. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. Thank you, Obi-Wan. <laughs> Beautiful. And you go, John, that's so simple. Yes. Yes, it is. Our church life, I mean, our real church life, and what we are praying we become as God continues to renew people and revive people, this will be determined on how much transformation takes place connected to our prayer life. More renewals will take place if we pray. More revival will sweep across this church if we pray. And many, many more people in Durham will experience the power of Jesus Christ if we pray. See, this church got together and they understood that prayer was not a duty. Prayer was not some law thing. Prayer was one thing. It was a wonderful invitation to walk in God's grace, be empowered to keep going. It was filled with joy. And so they got together and they prayed together as a family and God answered and people were healed and more people became Christians and they, for a season, became the church that we also want to become. So as they did that, so we together now are inviting all of us to do the same thing. I mean, that's the point. The application is we're going to do what they did. Joanna was preaching last week at 9.05, and she was talking about connect groups, and she said, well, I can't say much new. They did it. We should do it. Doesn't that make sense? Let's do it. So that's what this is. This is an invitation for our whole church to pray as they prayed with great expectancy and desperation that God is going to keep doing what he's already begun here. But here's the questions I need to ask this morning, here and online. So here it is. Where is the crisis and the opportunity facing us at C4 in this time? See, let me break it down this way. The great dividing line mentally in this church is some of us think there's a crisis and opportunity and others don't. And determining... How, how serious and open you will be and we will be together to prayer like this is rooted there. So here's the question. If you are, are sleeping or if you are half seeing or if you don't have your glasses on spiritually, you'll just think living at the side of the bed is the way it's supposed to be. And I'm telling you there's a king-sized bed available for everybody. So what's the crisis facing our church? Well, let me tell you. Many of us in this church aren't free of sin we've struggled with for 50 years. We're, we're being honest, but we have not had an empowered moment where there's real long-term freedom. Many of us, forget the sin thing, let's go to the thing. Many of us have never trusted Jesus enough to talk about stuff that has happened to us or we've done to others years ago, and it sits in us, and that pain and that shame has more power than what Jesus wants to do in our life. That's a crisis. Or here's another thing. What about Durham? Like, do you really believe people are lost? Like, really? 
Do you really believe that every person in Durham who doesn't know Jesus is going to live forever without him? See, this is not about doing more. Jesus has already promised us life and life abundant. He is inviting us to say, I want to set you free. I want to walk with you. I want to set you free from history. I want you to be empowered by my gifts. I want you to have joy. I have already declared over you all these identity statements. Just believe them and walk in them. The crisis is many of us don't trust or believe God, what he said over us, what he's promised to do in our lives, let alone our church. And so we don't pray desperately. And many others of us believe this intellectually, but we are distracted because of our lives. We do not truly believe that all of our neighbors are going to hell forever. But these people understood that at times of crisis, the answer was to wake up and see the opportunity for freedom and joy and love and grace and salvation. This is not something to get us down. This is like Christmas Eve, everyone. We have a Father who gives the best gifts. And we just need to ask and walk in them. This is not for us to get down. This is for us to wake up. So here's what I want to say. If you don't live like there's a crisis in our community or in our region, you need to ask God to show you and give you eyes to see what He sees so you'll pray differently. Because you will pray differently when you see the truth. Desperate Expectant prayer is rooted when suddenly reality is in front of us. And there's great opportunity. And what type of prayer should we be praying as a church? We should be praying biblically filled prayers. We should start our prayers, O sovereign Lord. We should be getting together with expectancy that God is going to shake C4. We should be getting together in our connect groups and with our family and regularly petitioning God, oh God, change me. Even if I don't know I need changing, you know, come set me free. You're a good dad. Oh God, bring life in our church. Break all bitterness in our church. Break all racism in our church. Break all issues between people. Oh God, people who are struggling, set them free like you did that cripple in a miraculous way. Oh God, help us to love your word more. Oh God, help us to pray. Help there to be joy in our church. Lord, revive our church so we look like this one. And then we should be praying, oh God, unless you intervene in our region, Nothing will change. Nothing will change. And so that is why we are inviting our church together. We've prayed about this since 2010, but we have never invited the whole family intentionally to meet and pray the same direction, the same things over an extended time. I am giddy, actually, with what God is about to do. I don't tell him what he's going to do. I just know that if we draw close to him, what is he going to do? He's going to draw close to us. So, everyone pull out your one thing for a moment. Or if you have a neighbor, you can share it. Since you're all in this together, share. It's a good thing. It's online. Here's what we're going to do as a church. As that church gathered together and prayed, so we together are going to pray with expectancy and hope and joy. And we together are going to continue to petition God to do stuff he's already begun among us. And this is what's going to happen. During this week, we're asking everyone to fast. And we tell you how to fast. There's resources online, you online. You can go to our website. There's a section called One. Everything's there. And we're asking every person with expectancy to get together, to begin to fast. You can give up TV or or caffeine, lots of caffeine or TV, 
or social media, computers, or food. However you choose, whatever the fast. And remember, fasting is you saying to God, I'm giving up something I love or even I need to live so I can focus my time with you and hear you clearly and speak back to you. So we're going to fast together. We've got some prayers that we'd like you to pray. And then at the end, we've written a prayer that as close as you can to noon, we're going to ask you to pray. And I'm going to read it to you first before we pray it to start our week. And it goes like this. Lord, the Lord is good. And his love endures forever. With one voice we cry, show us your glory. Shake the house. Give us eyes to see you, Lord. Give us ears to hear you. Give us hearts that revere you. Give us a desire to obey you. Forgive us our sins, known and unknown, and as we forgive others, implying there that we are going to do that. Deliver us from our flesh and the world and our adversary. Pour your Holy Spirit on all of us. Sovereign Lord, come and have your way among us. Make yourself at home in me and make yourself at home in C4 Church. Lord Jesus, do anything you must in me and do anything you must in us for your glory. Here's the great thing, for our freedom so the world can see Jesus clearly. That is what we're inviting the whole church to pray. And this whole week we're asking you to do this and pray this whether in a group or by yourself. And think about it. Think how cool this is going to be. Around noontime, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of us are going to pray this together with one voice. And God's going to answer us. On Thursday night, we're going to have an extended worship time, like I said. We're going to have an extended worship time where we're going to worship God through music and through voice. And then what we're going to do at the end of that is we're breaking right across the church. And there's going to be stations throughout the whole church where we're going to pray that God does this in each section of our church. So we're going to pray for children and tweens, that they are revived. We're going to pray for teens and young adults that they are revived. We're going to pray for our adult community that they are revived. We're going to pray for our seniors that they're going to be revived. This is a week of great anticipation where we pray this. But this is not the end. As we pray this through, we're going to do this again just before Christmas. We're going to do one part two. I don't know what it's going to be called. We'll let communication people deal with that. But here's what we're going to do. Before Christmas... We're going to do this whole process again, and the whole focus is going to be for our neighbors and friends who don't know Jesus yet. We're going to start praying for awakening in Durham. All I want to encourage you with is this. I want to be part of a church that's marked by prayer. Not something you do when you think about it later, but a church that loves prayer like Jesus did and looks like the prayer that took place in the book of Acts and in the epistles. I want to be part of a church that understands the role of prayer, that it's expectant, it's desperate, it's biblically informed, it's sovereignly oriented, and it's expectant that God's going to do things. And do I believe this is here? Oh, yes. This church is already growing in leaps and bounds in prayer, but I'm asking God for more. And my invitation to you is, will you join us? Will every single one of you join us? Because this is how God shows up in churches and in regions. Let's uh, pray together. Lord, so, okay, first of all, we pray that you'd give us great faith and hope and unity. We pray, O oh Lord, that you'd show us both the great opportunity in front of us and the crisis, the crisis in some of our personal lives, the crisis in some of our family, not our whole family, and then the real crisis in our region that is eternal in effect. And we're praying, O Lord, that you would lead us as one people all together to pray with expectancy and begin to pray desperate prayers. 
Lord, we pray you'd show up. We pray you'd revive people and renew people and give them joy. We pray that the grace that has been given would be experienced. We pray already in anticipating the next prayer time that we would pray for the salvation of many people. And here's what we pray as we end with this last song. We pray this prayer to start. The Lord is good and his love endures forever. With one voice we cry, show us your glory. Give us eyes to see you. Give us eyes to see you, Lord. Give us ears to hear you. Give us hearts that revere you. Give us a desire to obey you. Help us, Lord. Forgive us our sins, known and unknown, as we forgive others. And Lord, as we pray that, reveal things to us. Deliver us from our flesh and the world and our adversary. Pour out your Holy Spirit on every person in our church. Sovereign Lord, come have your way among us. Make yourself at home in me. Make yourself at home in C4. Lord Jesus, do anything you must in me and in us for your glory, for your freedom, so the world can see Jesus clearly. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen. Lord, keep doing what you're doing. Let's worship.